Got a couple things I wanted to update you on, and then we'll get into the Word of God. But uh, I've shared with you that over the last two and a half years, we've been doing a lot of crystallization of our vision here at Bridgeway and talking about strategy and mission and all these things. And one by one, we've been trying to roll them out to you. We've been working on missional communities, been working on uh, our new process of allowing folks to get plugged in here at Bridgeway called The Path. We'll be talking more about that next week. But I have a couple things I would like to reveal to you. Some of them have come out in our literature on our videos, but I wanted to kind of walk you through a couple pieces that are new to us, but I think will help us crystallize what we're doing here at Bridgeway. One of the things that I'm going to share with you is called a, uh, it's called a, you can say it's a missional map or a strategy map or an icon map, whatever you want to do. The idea is that I want to show you something about Bridgeway in a nutshell, what do we need to be focused on and how do you navigate this place? It seems like when you walk in, there's a lot available, there's a lot of folks, there's everything going around, activity, and we wanted to strategize and focus in the right areas. The number one thing that I'm challenged with as the pastor of this church is busyness. Busyness is kind of wrecking our spiritual growth. You're busy, we're busy, everybody's busy, and so it makes it very difficult to do traditional discipleship. So we said, how do we focus down and try to do just the core issues so that you can be blessed and you can be led? So we came up with a visual identity. Let me go ahead and just throw this up on the screen. This is our brand new strategy map. And here's what it represents. All of that is meaningful. Uh, Let's begin that if there's a couple areas we need you to focus on primarily in this church, those are the two big squares you see before you. And the top left-hand corner is our weekend services where we experience God. You'll see that with a flame coming up, meaning that we want to sit in the presence of the Holy Spirit, whether we are preaching and learning or whether or not we are worshiping and singing or whether or not we are praying or whether or not we are fellowshipping. The idea is we are all as a family in the presence of God being transformed. So if we were to say that there's one One thing we need you to commit to on a consistent basis, we need you to be here with us so that we can convey culture, convey wisdom, convey the word of God, and just be together in his presence. However, there are two large squares. The one that folds over on that, meaning one is the foundation, the other folds over on that is in the bottom right hand corner. That says go together. What we are not supposed to do is all have this incredible experience with God and be transformed and then do nothing about it. What we need to be doing is get out there and bless somebody, right? We got to share the gospel. We got to connect with the world around us. We got to pour out his love and his power and all that. We need to advance the kingdom. So we need to go together. We don't all need to be individual renegade Lone Rangers, We need to strategically partner together and get out there and do something. So that square represents our missional communities that we're still building, our small group model. It also includes our mission stuff. It also includes our local outreach, the idea that we would go out and impact our culture. Yeah. 
So if there was two things that we want you to do, it's to be transformed by God and then go tell somebody. Yeah. All right. Makes it pretty simple. But we also realize that not all of us are in a place where we feel fully equipped or healthy enough to do that. So what else do we need? Well, you'll notice the smaller icons in the top right hand corner. It says make connections that represents two things. One, you need to be connected to Bridgeway. It's very hard to consistently go to a church and call it home if you don't know anything about it. It makes it very difficult for it to feel like home if you don't know the leadership and you don't know how to navigate around the place. So that's why we're creating a whole new process, as I said, called The Path, where Pastor Brian Kiley is going to lead it. And it's where we're going to have everyone involved in a process of understanding how Bridgeway operates and understanding the basics of our faith. But it also means that we need to connect with each other. There's no point in coming to church with a whole collective family if we don't know the whole collective family, or we at least don't know parts of us, right? I mean, if we just come by ourselves and leave by ourselves, that's a drag. That's not the point. So how do we connect, especially in our busy lives? That represents at least our five big connection ministries, men's ministries, women's ministries, family ministries, bridge builders, and singles journeys. That those are all designed and being more and more strategically aligned so that different folks in similar life stages or same gender or whatever can begin to connect because there's sometimes you need someone that understands you walking through this Christian world. Yeah, there are times, ladies, when you just need lady time and you need dudes out of the room. You know what I'm saying? All right. All right, and there's times that guys need to feel free to scratch. So, well, all I'm saying, all I'm saying is that there's ways that we need to bond together and be able to hang out together and be able to talk about Jesus together in a way that we kind of all understand each other. So we've tried to make specific areas of connection. But also, there is some of us, then this is represented by the get equipped bottom left hand portion. There are some of us that are not quite yet in a place of health in our lives. We have either had significant hurt or we've had significant trauma or we've had significant questions or doubt or pain. And we are not yet ready to go out and tell the world because we have so much dysfunction hanging on us. Some of us need to repair What that icon represents is our care and compassion department. Like, for example, our soul care ministry, where we need to pull away for a moment and go and get healthy and get filled back up, and then we can re-engage. It also represents all of our classes, our adult education, where some of us would say, I can't wait to get out there and tell everyone. I just don't know what I'm talking about, right? That you would go, I've never, I don't even know how to read the Bible. I don't know any of this stuff. We would go, hold on. We need to get you equipped so that you know what you're talking about. That's what's represented there. So in other words, Bridgeway in a nutshell, all pictured in one picture of saying, let's get together, experience God. Let's get out there and go together. Make sure that we know each other and we know our church home and make sure that we're locked and loaded to get it done. Amen. Amen. You guys like that stuff? All right. Praise God. That's good. 
There's one other thing I would like to share with you. And that is for years now, we have had the logo and motto Bridgeway moving you closer to Christ. And it's great and it's good. And I have all kinds of awesome memories about that. What we wanted to do was use that tagline, redesign it to move more strategically into our new logo and into our new strategy. So we're changing it. And I want to tell you why and what it means so that every time you see it, it has deep meaning for you. So let me just say this. The name Bridgeway obviously speaks of a bridge. We think of bridges as connecting. And that is where God has placed us in the world. We are in a bridge to a lot of different things. The bridge from uh, the Christian world to the secular world and the, a lot of other bridges, bridges between charismatic and conservative and bridges between ethnicities and race and bridges between genders of women and men and, and bridges, right? I mean, we have all these different bridges that God has placed us right in the center of. But a bridge also leads you somewhere. If you notice in our new logo, you, we are starting out on a road and it looks like it's headed over a bridge going somewhere. Where in the world are we going? That's what we want to talk about. When you come to Bridgeway or you invite someone to Bridgeway, what are they going to experience? What are they going to do here? Where are we headed? That's what we wanted to address. We wanted to figure out in our vision, why did God make us the way he made us as a family? And what does he want to do? Why did he put us here? What is the specific problems we need to address? Well, one issue, if you were to boil down what we, concerns us the most, it seems to be transformation. We crave transformation for everyone we influence. We want everyone to be healthy and whole. We want everyone to be walking with the Lord at max capacity, right? I mean, that's the stuff. We're a discipleship-based church. We believe heavily in the concept of transformation. But how are we going to do that? How are we going to get there? What do we need to overcome? Well, you've heard this. Let me just throw up our identity statement just, in, just to remind you. Can we go ahead and throw that up there? We are a scripture-soaked, spirit-led community expectantly seeking transformation into our identity in Jesus. Can you say amen to that? Amen. All right, so we all know that, that we want our identity shaped in that of Jesus, and we want to be transformed by his power. So our problem then is that we are broken people living in a broken world. Therefore, our missional statement of what we're supposed to do about it is this. Let's go to the next one. Equipping one another to bring the wholeness of Jesus to a broken world. Do we got an amen on that? Amen. All right, fantastic. If that's what we're trying to do, then what are people supposed to know about Bridgeway? You can't lead them through all that stuff. So if you were to say it in one short place, in Bridgeway, if you go there, we are headed where? Throw up the new tagline, to a whole new life. The idea is that at Bridgeway, what we're looking for is wholeness. So we're going to try to take you on a journey that the more we get you closer to Jesus and his identity is formed in us, our wholeness grows. And if we become whole, we can live a new type of life. Amen. Amen. Praise God. That's all I wanted to reveal to you. All right. Good, good, good. That's a, that's a big commercial for one line. You know what I'm saying? But I wanted you all to understand. All right. Good. Well, let's go ahead and shift. Can you take out your Bibles and the handout sheet that was given to you at the front door? We are in part two of our Galatians series called Fully Known. 
And I want to just draw your attention to the fill in the blank with just a couple thoughts. And I'll, and I'll just say this. The designer of any item decides what it's supposed to be used for. Have you ever noticed that every item that you purchase has one million warnings on it? You notice that? Now, every time I see that, it's like, don't use this as a toy. You're like, why would I use that as a toy? That's a lame toy, right? There's all kinds of warnings. Every time I read those warnings, I think two things immediately. Number one, you must think I'm an idiot, right? That's the first thing I think. The second thing I think is what lawsuit made that line have to be there? Y'all know what I mean? Because there ain't no, they didn't put that on there for their own health. They put that on there because they were forced to put that on there. All right. Well, all those warnings are simply saying this. We intended an item for one thing. If you start getting creative and using it for something else, someone's going to get hurt. Right? I used the analogy last night that if you decide to use your new Costco pillows as a car jack and tell your brother to lay down and you're going to drive the car right up on the pillows, okay, that's not what they're intended for and someone's going to get hurt. They don't do that. A pillow's intended to be squishy, not lift your car. Now, the point that I'm saying is the designer gets to build something for a specific purpose. And when they do that, they're the one that dictates that purpose. Well, God created us. He tells us who we are. And we must determine to let God alone give us value, meaning, and purpose. The fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you is this. The creator dictates purpose. When you start getting creative about what you could use your life for, someone might get hurt. God built you for a certain thing to withstand certain things. And when you start altering that, it starts getting scary, right? So for example, God built us for monogamy. When we start messing with that, hurt happens. God built us for loyalty and faithfulness. When we don't do that, people get hurt. God built us for a relationship with him. When we don't have that, we have a void. God built us for community. So when we are alone, it doesn't feel right. Does that make sense? So God who designed us said, I built you like this to do this. So if there is an agitation or there is a tension or there is some type of, uh, uh, disturbance in the force, right? In, in your body where you're going, man, something's not right. You're probably out of alignment with what you were designed and intended to do. That's what we're trying to address. So where are we at in this series? Part two jumps right into a scenario where Paul the apostle had planted a church not that long ago in the modern area of Turkey. Back then it was known as the area of Galatia. He had planted some small churches, and after he left, he had given them, they were non-Jews, they were Gentiles, he had given them the pure gospel from Jesus Christ. Some other leaders came in and hijacked the system. They then said, we'd rather follow those guys, because they scared us, than you, Paul. And they shoved out the legitimate pure gospel and started bringing in all kinds of rules and regulations and rituals and legalism, and Paul freaked out. So he wrote them a letter and said, this is not okay. So it's a letter of a pastoral heart of concern, but it's also correction. And so he's going to have to relay the foundation of say, y'all need to know my story. 
Jesus wrecked me. He remade me. He gave me a message for you that you don't get to just pick out as an opinion. It's legitimate and right and good. It is the truth. And that's where we pick up our story. He's telling his story. Pick it up in Galatians chapter 1, verse 11. If you don't know where that is, it goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians. All right? So let's, 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 let's just jump right in. I'm going to read the first two verses, and I want to pull some stuff apart here for us. He said this, For I would have you know, brothers... That the gospel, the good news, the life and message of Jesus that was preached by me, it's not man's gospel. It wasn't somebody's good idea about some good things. For I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. I received it through a revelation, through a visitation, through a personal visit of Jesus Christ. Okay. You might have missed a couple pieces in there. Let me jump back. He said, I want to tell you, brothers, stop right there. Why is that important? Because he's writing a letter to folks that have messed up their theology. He's writing to folks who have distorted the pure gospel. He's writing to folks that are no longer, no longer adhering to the mainstream Christianity. And he's writing to them to correct them, to discipline them for shunning his leadership and going with someone else. You would think that he'd be ticked off and go, you guys are in danger and how dare you? He addresses them as family. We are way too quick to divide over stuff. Paul says, hey, brothers. And you're like, no, no, no. He's just, that's how Jews talk to each other. He's not talking to Jews. He's talking to Gentiles. Hey, brothers, guys, I understand. I know I'm mad. I know I'm correcting you. That doesn't change my love for you. It doesn't change our relationship. We're family. I think that's pretty awesome. I think that we need to lead like that, that we still see each other as family, even when we don't agree on everything. So he says, I need to tell you, brothers, a couple things. I need to tell you that the gospel preached by me is not man's gospel. I got it direct from the source. Jesus showed up to me. So if you're rejecting my stuff, you're rejecting God's stuff. It's not like you can kind of look and go, well, that's Paul's opinion. No, it's not Paul's opinion. Jesus came to me physically and told me what my message is. I'm merely transferring from Christ over to you. So you don't get to pick and choose. You don't get to reject it. It is what it is. If you reject this gospel, you're rejecting Jesus. And I know that's not what you want to do. It says in verse 13, he said, you all know my story. You've heard of my former life in Judaism, Orthodox Judaism. How I persecuted the church of God, Christianity. I did it violently. I tried to destroy it. And my life was going awesome, I thought. I was advancing in Judaism, rising in my religious system beyond many of my own age, among my own Jewish people. I was so extremely zealous and passionate, was I, for the traditions and religious systems of my forefathers, the Jewish leaders. Maybe you don't know his story. We talked about it last week. You can read more about that in the book of Acts. He tells his story three times there. But here's what he's trying to say. 
He said, you all heard what I used to be, right? I mean, I was so fired up for God. I was ready to kill people for God. And I did. That's pretty extreme, right? And then I found out God said I wasn't on the right team. And that shattered my world. And I had to be remade from the ground up. My whole identity was lost. And then it was found. Y'all know how that worked. I persecuted the church of God. Once again, notice he does not say I persecuted this group. He didn't say he persecuted a denomination. He didn't say I persecuted one segment of a family of God. Because to Paul, there's only one. You're either God's kids or you're not God's kids. We keep trying to make all these distinctions and we keep trying to say, well, there's this group and there's this. No, there's not. There's just God's family. Either they're in or they're out. And if you're not willing to make the call that they are lost and going to hell, then you need to realize they're your brothers and sisters. Hmm. He said, yeah, I was against the very God I wanted to serve, the God that I loved. I tried to destroy it just because I had good motivations didn't make it turn out right. I should have checked in with God differently, and I didn't. I was so hard-headed. I was all about, I'm going to protect truth. I'm going to protect truth. I'm going to protect God. I'm going to protect God that I ran out there and started killing the very works that he was doing. Wow, that's messed up. Are we still doing that today? I think we are. He says this, and this is where it starts getting deep. Verse 15. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, and he who called me by his grace, when he was pleased to reveal his son Jesus Christ to me, he did so in order that, meaning with the additional purpose of, that I might preach Jesus among the Gentiles. Okay, there's a lot right there. First thing, he said, but when he... He didn't say, but when I learned this new cool way of living. He didn't say, when I saw this new religious program. He didn't say any of that stuff. He said, but when he, when God, we are not interested in religiosity, we are interested in relationship with a he. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Okay, that's an identity statement. All these things are going to be identity statement. You've got to lock it in that if you do not have a personal relationship with God, if you are merely following or adhering to a religious system, you are not yet saved. Why? Because it's a personal relationship with God. He said, but when he who set me apart before I was born, Okay, there you go. I don't know if you grew up in the church or not, but there was a famous phrase that every evangelist used. And I, I don't know if it got popular with Billy Graham. I don't know who got it. I think it was him that got it popular. But it was that, that phrase, God loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life. Who did that? Who was the one that popularized that? Anybody know? Campus Crusade, is that what it was? All right. So the idea was God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Now, at some point it became cliche and you started going, yeah, yeah, yeah. God has a wonderful plan for my life. Remember, I am not here to give you fluff. I'm here to talk about truth. The truth is God has a plan for your life. And you go, well, that's very sweet. No, it's just real. Why? Because you'd be dead by now. Right? 
The only reason you're here is you're part of the plan. The reason that you are here is that God wants you here and that he designed you to be here and he's using you here. If that was not the case, you would have been taken out a long time ago. You are necessary to the plans of God right now. Purpose, yeah, amen, right? Because he has a plan and the plan that he has for you is awesome because it's his plan and he started it before you even got here. You walked in on the plan that was already going. Now, why am I making such a big deal of this? Because sometimes in our minds, in our lives, we keep having this idea and this lie come in that we are meaningless. We have no value. We are hopeless. There's nothing really going on with us. We don't matter. It's one of the reasons why I hate depression so much. Depression, like anxiety brings in thoughts that are not true okay so when you're depressed and i'm not blaming you for depression just like i'm not blaming me for anxiety right what i'm saying is when depression hits the enemy has an open door to slide in the thoughts that you don't matter He slides in the thoughts that there is no point to all this. And why am I even here? No one even cares that I'm here and I have no worth. That is a lie from the pit of hell. And we need to have an identity that makes it harder in our times of depression for Satan to get the lie in. Right? We got to lock it down to go, God has a plan for my life. That's why I'm here. Of course I have meaning. I don't have meaning because I came up with meaning. I have meaning because God made me with meaning. I was front-loaded with meaning. I would not even be here if I did not have meaning. So the fact that I am able to cry out to God means I have meaning. Yeah? Got to lock that one in. Then he says this. He said, but when he who had set me apart before I was born, he who called me. Do you know that God called you first? Okay, let's be very careful when we tell our testimony. Let's not use the phrase, well, I found God in my college years. You didn't find God. God had to smack you across the face and go, hey, that was actually how it went. I found you. Uh, whatever. No, you didn't. I showed up to you. And here's why it's so important as an identity statement. If God initiated the love relationship with you, he did so before you even did anything. Therefore, your performance doesn't maintain that relationship. You understand what I'm saying? That, that you got to lock it in to go, whoa, 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 hold on, hold on. God's really into you, not because you did cool stuff. God was really into you before you even knew he was around. And so if he started the love relationship, then he's more interested in the love relationship with you than you are. Let that one sink in, right? We got to be building this stuff up. All right, one more. Look at this. He said, but when he who called me, uh, excuse me, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and he who called me by his grace, everything's grace. You don't deserve it. You didn't deserve it at the beginning. You don't deserve it now. That doesn't mean it doesn't exist. God's love and calling and empowerment is always grace. But I'm not worthy. I didn't ask if you're worthy. 
I just said it is. And when you're, it's this constant feeling of, well, I'm not doing, you're right, I'm not the Christian I should be, I'm not serving enough, I'm not, whoa, 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 hold on, we're in a different conversation now. I hope you're not talking about God's love for you, because that's got nothing to do with it. You were a loser before he loved you? <laughs> and you are a loser now, we're clear. That doesn't mean he don't love you. All right. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, I have the gift of encouragement. <laughs> when he was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach the gospel to the Gentiles, do you realize that when you get saved, you don't just get saved for you? When you get saved, when God screams at you and says, your house is on fire, get out of the house, you're supposed to turn around and yell at everybody else, the house is on fire, get out of the house. Uh, it's not okay for you to go, what? Oh, the house is on fire, and then sneak out. <laughs> That's rude. It's not very loving. So if you know the house is on fire and you know the way out of the house, how about you tell your neighbors the house is on fire and to get out of the house? Now, if they choose to hang out in the house and say, well, I like the warmth. That's their business. But it is your responsibility to notify them that the house is on fire and they need to get out of the house. In other words, when we get saved, we get saved and we get attached to a calling. We get attached to something larger than ourselves. We get attached to a mission by which Jesus is reaching out into the world. So you have an automatic mandate. You have an automatic purpose that's attached with you. So do we have something to do? Of course we do. He said, now I got to tell you about how my story went. He said, after I got rocked, after everything got flipped upside down on that road to Damascus, after Jesus came to me personally and told me that I was not on his team, I did not immediately consult with anyone. He said, I just got to tell you that verse 16. I didn't immediately go to somebody and go, Hey, do you think this is legit? I know it's legit. It was Jesus. And he downloaded to me instantaneously what I needed to know. If you're in the presence of God, you know it. He said, I didn't immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem, which was the current home base with a bunch of Jewish Christians. He said, I didn't go in there. I didn't go to those who were apostles before me, the original 12. I went away into Arabia for three years and returned again to Damascus. Okay, Arabia at that time, its capital was Petra. Have you ever seen pictures online about this huge uh, cliff wall and these massive statues carved into the cliff and it's all kind of pinkish? That's Petra. That was the capital of Arabia. He said, I immediately went into there. Why? Because that's where Jesus sent him immediately. Right when he got saved, he went into ministry. Why? Because it was the pure, unadulterated gospel directly from Jesus. He didn't have to sort out all the man garbage in it, right? He immediately got it from Jesus. He immediately went into ministry, and it says he returned again to Damascus. Why is that important? Because just a few years prior, he was trying to kill people there. Try going back there and ministering. No, 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 seriously, I'm on your team now. Oh, are you? I don't trust you, you psycho. I don't, want you. I, don't, I don't know who you are, and I don't know what you're doing, but all I know is you by reputation, man, and you do not get to stay at my house. I'll just tell you that. I'm not putting my kids around you. I'm not getting my wife around you. Something's wrong with you, Right? And he goes right back in. Now, he put his life on the line immediately. This is where, in the book of Acts, he ended up having to escape persecution in a basket 
over the wall. You all remember that story? He had to get out of town because they wanted to kill him. So, I mean, immediately Paul risks his whole life for this gospel. He said, verse 18, then after three years of trying to get this whole thing and doing ministry and trying to rewrite my identity, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Peter. He uses his Aramaic name, Cephas or Cephas. He said, and I remained with Peter for a couple weeks talking about Jesus for 15 days. But I saw none of the other 11 apostles. I did see the Lord's brother, James. Now, once again, let me point out the obvious about James. On one hand, I don't know if you knew this, but Peter was the leader of the church, but James replaced him. That as Peter was at the top, as uh, James began to rise up and the Lord began to rise him up as a leader of the Jerusalem church, and ultimately Peter was um, martyred and James took the helm. Jesus' next old, older brother in the family. Do you all remember that Jesus had siblings? Okay, there was at least seven kids. So it says Jesus had four brothers and at least two sisters. So there was seven siblings. The next one down from Jesus was James. Okay, all I want to say is this, because I've talked about it before. Imagine you have to learn that your own blood brother is the son of God. Talk about an identity re-rack. You need to trust in your sister for her being Messiah. I mean, just you know, how weird is that? You guys, I mean, you used to share bunk beds. And now, what, he's now God? How does that work? So for James, who did not believe in Jesus the whole time that he was here on earth, had Jesus come back and visit him after he rose from the dead, and James was like, whoa, that's so weird. And he jumped into ministry and took over the leadership of the Jerusalem church. I think that's pretty cool right there. He said, in what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Look at verse 21. He said, then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. Now, normally you just blow past that, right? Because who cares about that? Who knows that? Except for there's one super important town in Cilicia. What is it? Tarsus. Where did he go to minister? Oops, back home. He went to his birthplace. You want to talk about the hardest place to minister? Try your own backyard. Try telling your own unbelieving family about Jesus and see how that works out. With all the drama of what happened when you left home and all the drama of bad things that have happened originally, right? I mean, we don't have family drama. We don't have all that. And you're going to go up and go, now I'd like to tell you the gospel. They're like, shut up. I don't want to hear that from you. You're you. Right? And the Bible says a prophet was that is without honor in his own hometown. It's really, really hard to minister to your childhood friends. It's really hard to minister to your unbelieving family. And yet Paul was called right there. And he had to go back and do that. He said, now at that time, verse 22, I was still unknown in person. Like nobody knew my face, but they all knew my reputation. I was still unknown in person to the churches in Israel or by Jerusalem, southern Israel. He said, they all knew I was a persecutor guy and I was all hardcore, but they never really saw me before. They were only hearing it, verse 23. And they said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. They're like, that's awesome. And they glorified God because of me. Look at chapter two, verse one. Then after 14 years, that's a long time, 14 years from conversion, 14 years from the Arabia thing. I don't know. 
Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem to the home base Christianity. And I went with my buddy Barnabas and my buddy Titus. Okay. Those guys are cool. Let me tell you why. Barnabas is older than Paul. They got hooked up when he accepted in Paul. They actually went on a couple missionary journeys together. And he was kind of like Paul's mentor in some ways. But he was the one that allowed other people to trust Paul. Barnabas was the connector guy. His real name is Joseph. He was a Levite. He was from uh, the island of Cyprus. He's doing all kinds of cool ministry, but all the Christians, when they saw him, they were like, dude, it's Barnabas because it means son of encouragement. They gave him a new nickname. They're like, every time I see you, man, you encourage my heart. You're just a a squishy guy, (laughs) right? So it could have been son of squishy or whatever, but it was son of encouragement. That's where he got his name. And Paul said, yeah, so I went with him. He kind of legitimizes me in the sense of, I'm not a bad guy anymore. And I also brought my buddy Titus. Now, Titus is there almost like proof. Titus is a non-Jew. Titus is a Gentile. And that's important because Paul goes, look, I'm out there in the world and I'm telling all these non-Jews how to get saved and I'm churning out guys like this. So if you don't like this, you're not going to like me. But I'm telling you, Titus is legitimate and he's a good man. And he loves Jesus with all of his heart. And I just want you guys to meet him. That's why Titus was there. He said, verse two, I went up not because I needed to check in with the guys and legitimize my ministry. I didn't do any of that. I went up because of a revelation. If Jesus didn't tell me to go, I would have been busy out on the mission field. I didn't need to be there. But when Jesus tells me to do something, I do it. I went because of a revelation and then I set before the apostles. I did it privately before those who seemed influential. I set before them the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running and had not run in vain. On the surface, it makes it sound like he's going, please tell me that my gospel's real. That's not at all what he means. That's what I thought until I did study. Here's what he means. This is his attitude. Hey, apostle guys, listen, I don't need your authorization. Here's what I need from you. I have been out there killing it, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ in a pure, unadulterated form with all these non-Jews. Please tell me you're not going to go screw that up. Please tell me you're not going to go back and hurt them. Please tell me that you're not going to come in and go, yeah, well, you also need these rules and these regulations and that... I've been teaching grace alone. And if you come back in and hijack my ministry, we got a problem. Please tell me that all my efforts aren't going to be undone by you. So we just got to sink for a moment that our ministries are not competing, that we're doing the same thing. We're on the same page and we're teaching the same gospel. Are we all good on this? That's why he went. Here's the heart of the whole message. It's really hard to let God alone design our identities. Our own worst enemy is our own thoughts. Because here's the the interesting part. What everyone else says about you can't stick unless you let it. If you're letting it stick, it means they're agreeing with something you already think. 
If you think you're worthless and they say you're worthless, you'll allow it to stick. And you go, well, that's not really true. Hold on. If a three-year-old, let's make them older than that, a little bit more savvy. Let's say a five-year-old. If a five-year-old comes up and goes, that outfit, that's all wrong. You need to wear this. Okay, are you going to take it seriously? You're like, dude, you don't know what you're talking about. So get your diapers on and get out of here. In other words, you will not validate his statement on modern day fashion for adults because he doesn't know what he's talking about. But if someone else says, oh, you wore that and you validate it because you think that they're saying what you're questioning, you let it stick. Here's what I'm saying. We're letting way too much stuff stick that doesn't agree with Jesus Christ because our thoughts are wrong. We ha- and it's so hard. I'm not telling you it's easy. I'm telling you it's a struggle. It is so hard to let God alone build you. But we have to. So here's the reality. I'm just going to tell you over and over and over. It's like self-talk. You are loved by God. If you hear anything else, it's a lie. You are precious. You have a purpose. You have value and you have meaning. That is a fact. And God is pursuing you. God is chasing you. If you submit your life to him, God is indwelling you. If you don't believe that, it doesn't matter. It's still true. And if God indwells you, then he is actively moving through you and you will produce fruit whether you like it or not. Amen? Man, we just have to let God tell us who we are and shove out all the other garbage. But boy, it's tough, isn't it? Let's have the prayer team come on up here. Um, why we have the prayer team at the end of our services is that the ministry's not done. Just because I get done teaching doesn't mean that God's done moving. So here's what we do. I've been talking to us as a family and, and talking in generalities. It is now to talk in specifics that right now your heart is getting stirred. You have all different things going on in your life. You're like, man, that's true. My identity's messed up. Or you're thinking, wow, he, pastor Lance just pinged on this issue. And that's so my issue. And, and, and all these things are coming up in you. Now's your time to get tailored ministry. So then you come out of your seat at the end of the service and you come up and we pray anointing over this team that Jesus would move through them to finish up the job. So that's why they're here. That's why we have a prayer team. So whatever is being stirred in your heart, I would love for you to come up and meet with them. They don't have all the answers. They have the answer. You understand what I'm saying? They know Jesus and that's what they need to know. So they're going to pray for you more than they're going to talk to you. They just want to get God involved in the mix. Does that all make sense? All right, praise God. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, I pray a blessing over all of our family here and online. I pray right now that you would take us from where we're at and begin to remove all the garbage and junk that doesn't need to be on our identity. Father, once you make a part of us that is totally you, would you spray Teflon on it and allow everything to fall off? God, I pray that nothing would be able to stick to it. I pray that little by little, we would advance in our image of you and Lord Jesus that we might become more like you every day. Holy Spirit, would you be our beautiful 
powerful filter that when we have influences or we have thoughts rise up from within, that you would help us purify those, that you would help us filter those and get rid of those that are not like you. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would anoint this altar and those that stand at it. I pray that it would be filled with divine appointments and more ministry would be done. God be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a wonderful weekend.